As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Celtics podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I am your host, Sam Jam Packard, professional sports fan, and I am joined, as always, by the kid, the god, the legend himself, Celtics beat reporter for The Athletic, Jay King, everyone. And we are joined, a very special guest, uh, because neither Jay or I, despite what Jay tries to do on this podcast, know anything about the NBA draft uh, and or the prospects coming up. We are joined by Tom Westerholm of MassLive.com, who is, I would describe him as a low-key draft guru. He doesn't have his own uh, mock draft or draft guide. Oh, but he does. He, he does, does have his own mock draft. I meant to say draft You're guide. already. I meant to say draft <laughs> guide. But Tom, one of the people I talked to the most at, uh, at Celtics games back when we used to get to go to those things, Tom geeks out about prospects most and he starts though young high high school. Your favorite event to cover in all of basketball is the hoop hall tournament in Springfield. So first, let's start there. Why why the obsession with uh, prospects and uh, high school basketball? What makes it so interesting to you? It's a good question. I I mean, you know, it, like for like for a lot of people, it starts with you know just like you're on YouTube and and, and you're watching some of these guys and like you know. You, it's 20, you know, 2013 and you're watching Andrew Wiggins dunk on, you know, other 14 year olds. And it's like, Hey, like that was fun. 
Um, but then it's it just kind of becomes a thing that you uh, it, it's fun to try to to try to evaluate. I, I think it kind of challenges how you watch basketball sometimes, you know, it, it, it like the things that you have to focus on are, are a little bit different, which is interesting. You know, you're not just like, okay, you know, they did X, Y, and Z. It's like, okay, do I think that, you know, this guy's footwork is going to translate to the NBA or do I think that this guy's length is going to, you know, it, that stuff is interesting too. So, um, you know, it, it's kind of all of those things, but uh, yeah, it, it does lead to watching some garbage basketball sometimes, but the hoop ball classic is a blast. That's, that, that's one of the most fun weekends of the year for sure. The hoop ball is the best. There is it's nothing so good, better man. than the hoop ball. They, I mean, they have like all the top teams and all the top prospects every single year, except when COVID strikes. <laughs> I mean, and maybe even when COVID strikes. If, if we get lucky this year, if there's any way that they can make it happen, they're going to have Imani Bates, who is like basically the next Kevin Durant. So, yeah, it, like if, if we can get it in this year, it'll be awesome. So, you, this is like your top event. You, you said you would rather go to that event than like a big Celtics game. Um, so, I'm presuming that you know this draft class pretty well because you've been tracking them for a couple of years. Everything I've heard is that this is a bad draft class, especially at the top end of the draft i mean top talent like the top picks why i mean is that true i mean are people lying to me what's the deal with this draft class why is it so bad <laughs> well actually i would push back on that i actually think it's a good draft class it's just not a star laden draft class like so you know other draft classes you know you've got like your zion your john morant at the top of the class you got you know you know tatum going in the top three you know ben simmons and, and jalen brown and brandon ingram like those are those are good draft classes with like top level talent this one i think is pretty deep um, but it's not like, it's not deep in terms of star talent. Like, I just, I don't think that there's that guy there. I don't think that Anthony Edwards or LaMelo Ball is going to be that guy. They might be nice players. James Wiseman might be a nice player, but they're not, they're not like stars to me. Um, I think, you know, you might be able to get you, like a, maybe like a Donovan Mitchell type, you know, where he went, uh, late in the lottery and then turned into something really good. And I think that's what a lot of teams who are late in the lottery are going to be hoping for. Um, but I think mostly what you're getting in this class is good role players, you know, guys who can who can definitely do some good things in the NBA and could stick around for a while. But yeah, you're not getting your Zion. You're not probably getting your Joel Embiid. Like th those guys aren't going to be there this year, I don't think. Yeah, I think it's like it seems like this. The top prospects in this draft are longer, much longer shots. Yeah. Than you're normally looking for at that stage of the draft. Like, like these are the type of guys that can get GMs fired. You know, like <laughs> like you get the number one pick, and you get Anthony Edwards. And six years from now, he's a high-powered Dion Waiters, <laughs> and and you're like, oh well, it would have been nice to have an actual number one pick in that draft, like yeah. Anthony Bennett. Anthony right, Bennett, yeah. You know that 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 draft seems like the most similar comparison to me, at least at the top of it, because nobody knew who was going to be the number one pick in that draft. There wasn't anyone who was head and shoulders above the rest. I think Nerlens Noel was in the conversation, yeah. like just kind of some bum ass prospects. <laughs> well, and I think the scary thing too is that like all of the all of the best guys, like Lamelo Ball, does have a high ceiling. Like you know, he's six foot seven. He's like an unbelievable passer, ball handler. Like he's he's you know a very promising player. I also think he has a really low floor. Like I, I think there's like an actual chance that some of these like top level guys become multi time all stars. I think there's a chance that some of them actually bust. Like just are not like real NBA players like that. And that's scary. And that's actually why I think there are a lot of teams that would prefer to be where the Celtics are because those are the, then, then it's almost a safer pick. You know, you're not, you're not going to get fired for taking a shot at somebody like RJ Hampton 
um, because like, you know, maybe he turns into something, maybe he doesn't. Um, and you're also not going to get fired for taking, you know, Jay, I know you like Sadiq Bay. You're not going to get fired for taking somebody like that. Cause he's probably just going to be an NBA player for the next, like, you know, however many years. So, um, it's certainly, I, I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, the kind of the middle of the draft looks nicer for GMs is just cause like, it's safer. Like you're just not going to, you're not going to look quite as dumb if your pick doesn't work out. And the other thing for the Celtics, too, is if they do keep their three picks, they'll get three shots at it. Exactly. And in this draft, that could be really helpful because it does seem like there are a lot of players who could be helpful NBA players. And and having more shots at that is typically beneficial. That being said, though, they don't really have the roster space. has commandeered. They don't really have the roster space to add three guys uh, to this team. And we see reports from um, Kevin O'Connor, not the losing senator in Massachusetts, but draft guru, saying that the Celtics are looking to package those deals to move up, which I know this is not a a crack at Kevin O'Connor. He's just doing his job reporting what he hears. But of course they are. (laughs) It's just like, oh, like the. Every GM right now is looking and seeing like what trades are available and what's uh, going on uh, and just trying to make moves and seeing like kind of the value of their picks. Normally with what the Celtics have, which is the 14, I don't even know the numbers. This is how poorly I have the draft. 14, 26, and 30. Yep. Hey, now someone's paying attention. <laughs> you you can't package those. It's not, it's not like they can move up to four or something like that. Like the highest they could probably get is like the kind of eight to 10 range. Saying what you've said, if you want multiple cracks at it, is there value in, is there a guy you would want to target at number eight? I guess my question is like, considering the Celtics are not going to get what, so one of the guys are the top five guys, who's the best kind of person, move who's up the candidate. best player, move up candidate you think the Celtics could target if they were going to package those picks uh, to try to get in the top 10? So there's two guys that I have very high on my draft board. I actually have them number one and two because I'm like kind of hesitant about uh, I'm a little hesitant about LaMelo and, and Edwards for the Celtics just because like those guys require a lot of development. And I don't know how much, you know, the Celtics actually want to do the developing thing. Um, so I, my number one and two are Killian Hayes and Onyeka Okungwu. Um, you, you've probably seen their names on, on, you know, NBA Twitter. They're both pretty popular on there. Um, Hayes, I really like, I, I really like the Celtics option to go for a sort of a backup point guard who can score. Um, because I think, you know, if you do that, then you put yourself in a position to potentially have a starter down the road if the pick works out and, and Hayes certainly has like starting point guard, you know, potential. Tell me and, more about Hayes. Cause I literally know nothing other than the fact that he's a lefty and he's from France and the lefty part is kind of frisky for me. So I like that, but like he plays in France. How did that like, uh, translate to the NBA? Tell me more about his game. Cause I literally just don't know anything. Well, so he actually plays. It's kind of funny. He plays in Germany for the uh, the team that uh, I believe Javante Green played for, uh, Ratio Farm Ulm. Um, but yeah, so he, uh, he, he like you said, lefty, um, really impressive step back jumper that he's really honed. Um, you know, you'll see, especially Kevin O'Connor, who, as you mentioned, really knows his stuff, uh, has kind of. Um, he's done the thing that a lot of draft analysts do where they're like, look, I'm not saying he's James Harden, but this step back kind of looks like James Harden. There's not really anybody else to compare this. Is to. it that so, impressive if he shot 29.4% from deep? So it it has gone up. Like it, he definitely struggled at times. Um, he did improve and, he, and he's a good free throw shooter. Um, That's and the thing done- I learned recently is that free throw shooting is indicative of future shooting success. That's the draft uh, thing be. I learned. It can, it can be. be. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he all, and like touch, you know, more than anything is what a lot of people look at. And he has good touch. He's a really, he's got, you know, a really nice floater. Um, so he is kind of a three level score. He's not 
um, really a freak athlete. Uh, you know, he's, he's acceptable. Um, but he's a really good passer, uh, you know, can do a lot of different things, has a lot of nice, uh, you know, a lot of good vision and sort of a lot of different um, passes in kind of his package. And he's also a good defender, um, you know, good off ball defender, you know, decent on the ball. Uh, I don't think that you're going to be in much danger um, defensively with him on the floor. He's going to add and he's going to, you know, work. Um, he's, a, he's a really good player. And, and I think, uh, you know, there's potential for him to be one of the better players in this draft class, which, you know, if if you're the Celtics and if he can address both your backup scoring and your backup point guard and be a future potential starting point guard, I think there's a lot to like there. So he looks exactly like D'Angelo Russell to me when I watch his tape. Like, mm. and it might just be the left-handed thing, but they play a lot alike. And I think the Harden comparison is is interesting because. Like playing like James Harden is not always good. Like it could be <laughs> yeah. so, unless it you're could James be Harden. So destructive. If you're if you're not good enough to do the shit that he does, it can be so destructive to play like that. And and so saying a guy has a James Harden play style is like exciting because James Harden's unbelievable. But then when you when you peel it back, it's like eh, I see why teams aren't like. <laughs> lining up to take this guy at number one so i do think that like that that's a very fair critique of james harden and uh the way the rockets have played at times but i would also say that killian hayes is more of a point guard than harden is you know like harden is obviously like you know the fulcrum of your offense like you know runs everything the you know like primary scorer i think hayes is capable especially like as a passer as somebody who can play out of the pick and roll he's certainly capable of being somebody who you know takes sort of that step back and sort of sets the table too um and obviously harden can do that it's just that he's such an unbelievable scorer that you don't necessarily want him to so i think that's kind of where the harden comparison breaks down is that harden is this otherworldly like you know generational scorer and Killian Hayes can do some of the things that Harden does but he is not that type of scorer um he's more of a passer more of a playmaker um you know I, I think uh that's that, that's that's kind of where I where I see him and and also I think you know defensively there, there's going to be some upside there too he's only 18 years old and so we've always we've seen historically that like rookie point guards or younger point guards struggle uh kind of in their first year in the league, like any concerns about, I guess, his timeline not matching up with, I guess, the Jays, if he's like ready to play and contribute and be that kind of third guard off the bench or like be some guy in the second, just because he's only 18 and only played in Europe. I mean, he, Luca did the same, but Luca's insane. And I don't know if Killian Hayes is the same. Yeah. I would say that Luca Doncic is probably a better draft prospect than uh, Killian Hayes, but hot take. Um, I, I do think that he can, I, I think that he'll be able to contribute some, uh, I don't, you know, certainly he'll have some, um, you know, some developmental challenges as he, you know, comes into the league and it, like anybody would like any rookie would, but he can shoot off the catch. And I think that matters, especially when you look at the fact that the Celtics do have a lot of guys who can handle the ball. You know, it's not like they're just going to be throwing him out there. Like we need you to run the offense. Now it's going to be like, okay, like, you know, there's Kemba, there's Marcus smart who, you know, mostly comes out who, very well might be coming off the bench next year again. Like there's other guys in there that can kind of help him, you know, work his way into the league. And, uh, and, and again, I, I think that, you know, from a defensive standpoint, if he has enough time and especially as the year goes on, I um, mean, he sort of gets used to the Celtic system. I, I think that there's, you know, so, so, some nice potential there too. So I think his, his spot up ability is really going to help. It's going to spread the floor a little bit and then, you know, kind of, <laughs> 
again, not to say that he is uh, going to follow the exact trajectory of Jason Tatum, but kind of in the same way where Tatum started off as like a spot up guy and then turned into more and more um, as he got more comfortable. I think you could see some of that with Hayes too, where he comes in initially and he's just kind of spacing the floor and then he starts to, you know, kind of unfold the other things in his game that can really help. Well, we talk about trade up candidates. We should probably note that trading up is really tough. Yeah. And Danny Ainge can tell you that when when Danny Ainge came out to address the media the night that the Celtics tried to trade up for Justice Winslow, he just looked like he he looked like he got in a fight that night. And I I think Gary I think Gary I think Gary Washburn even asked him like, "Are you all right, Danny? Like, is anything okay?" I feel like we bring up Gary Washburn every podcast. We've had a lot of Washburn stories lately. I, I appreciate that. But so it's really tough to move up, and and some of these guys, especially in th- this draft, could go anywhere from like number three to closer to number ten. So it seems like a really unpredictable draft. Um, Tom, why has everyone fallen in love with Okungwu? <laughs> um, so there's two reasons. Is that it everybody because of Bam? What's that? Is it because of Bam? So I was just going to say, there's two reasons that everybody has fallen in love with Okungu, and one of them is because Bam Adebayo just ripped through the Eastern Conference. Um, he is a very modern center, and I think that's why a lot of people, uh, like that you said, that means he's short, man. Well, <laughs> he's, he is 6'9", but he's also incredibly things. mobile. Like, he's super athletic, really mobile, can move his feet, um, you know, can kind of protect the rim. Uh, he's a, you know, a good rebounder. Um like, and he just plays really hard. Like, I really like how hard he plays it. He's got a super motor. He, he, I like, he, uh, he's one of those guys who goes after offensive rebounds and it doesn't usually hurt his team. Um, you know, he's, he's not like, he, he's very smart about it, but he works really hard at them. Um, is that a cantor cool. joke? Uh, <laughs> I, it's not, not a cantor joke. Um, <laughs> So he's uh like so I think that's all really good offensively right now. He's mostly kind of like a pick and roll um roll man or like a post-up guy. And I and there's like obviously some concerns about you know guys who primarily get their offense out of the post. But when he was asked about you know his his offense in the NBA by Mike Schmitz of ESPN, he said, Well, no, I see myself as the roll man. Um, you know, so he's he's really he's a smart kid too. So there's a lot to like there. Um, you know, everything you hear about him is that he's just like you know, the nicest, like humble kid who just like works and works and works and works and just keeps getting better. Um, he's weirdly, he's used to the spotlight because he spent a bunch of years at Chino Hills playing with the ball brothers. So that, that's just kind of an, an interesting tidbit about him, but um, I really like him. I, I think that, you know, a rookie big, you, you hesitate to say he's going to be like super impactful on the defensive end his first year. But I think, you know, two, three years down the road, He's going to be a really special defender in the NBA, I think. And, and I think that he is the type of defender who would fit the Celtics roster really nicely. My favorite move, move up candidate is Halliburton. Yeah. I, I think Strong he's name. really, <laughs> really talented. And he gives off Shea Gilgis Alexander vibes with like a savvy playmaking type who really knows how to play the game and has good length, can probably defend multiple positions. And in this draft, like, that seems great. If you can get somebody like that who can be a secondary playmaker at least for you and who can, you know, comfortably handle point guards, shooting guards, small forwards defensively, like that's good. And he he fills up the stat sheet, steals, yeah. assists, rebounds, everything. Like he just kind of does it all. So I'm I'm a big Halliburton guy. And I, I think if he slips far enough, then he should he should be the type of player the Celtics should target. Keep in mind, like 
Brad Wanamaker's a free agent. There's there's no promise that he'll be there. If the Celtics want to have any backup guard besides Marcus Smart, it could be nice to get one in the draft. So Halliburton's another guy I think really fits the mold of what the Celtics should be looking for. All right. Yeah, let's he's... assume. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was go ahead. Let's hear the Halliburton expertise. I was just so excited oh. to play our next gimmicky game. <laughs> well, I'll keep the I'll keep the Halliburton analysis short so we can get to our game then. Uh, he's I really like him, too. I mean, he's just like basically the high the really high floor candidate. Right. Because like you said, you know, he's going to fill up the stat sheet. Um, he can really space the floor. Um, the Shea the Shea comparison is interesting physically. He's not as good. Uh, you know, he's not nearly as good, I don't think, at like getting to the rim um, the way that Shea can, where he can just kind of like snake his way in there and and, uh, you know, do all that kind of stuff. But I mean, again, really good spot up shooter. He's, he's going to do a lot of a lot, a lot of really nice things. He's just a rock solid um, point guard. So like for a Celtics team that, you know, needs guys who can contribute right away. I think that Halliburton's actually like like a, a really good option for them. He, he's right up there for me, too. I'm a Halliburton guy. So from I'm taking from what you guys are saying, these guys are likely going top 10. And so the Celtics would have to move or do something to actually get these guys. And so that's the dream scenario. We mentioned how hard it is to move up in the draft, despite the Celtics having three picks. Let's focus on uh, guys who might actually be available at pick 14. And we're going to play a little segment called uh, does this guy move the needle for the Celtics? It, it was an electric segment coming out, uh, analyzing free agents from last episode. Um, so we'll talk about some players. And then Jay and Tom, you guys tell me if he moves the needle. Jay, this was your idea for a segment. So you lead us off with the, with the first player. Let's go. I'm, I'm just going off Kevin O'Connor's mock draft because there's no better place to go. Sam Vecini, the our guy at the athletic is fantastic too. Kevin O'Connor is right up there. They're they're legends of the draft game. Um, so I'm just kind of starting toward the end of the top ten, and we can just quickly go over draft candidates from there because I do think there's like a wide range for a lot of these prospects. They could fall, they could rise. Um, but we'll start with Devin Vassell. Does he move the needle, Tom? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean. So yes, certainly. the 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 thing with Vassell that's kind of nerve wracking is that there a recently a video surfaced on Twitter of him just like <laughs> that's him. Shots. Oh yeah, that's him. Oh my god, his form looked terrible, and it's bizarre because it looked a lot better at Florida State. Like he he's always had a high release. It has not always been this like hitchy weird thing that he was chucking at the rim. And like I don't want to overreact to one thirty second Twitter video when I watched you know a lot of film on this guy at Florida State shooting really well and looking really good doing it. But like, I was a little spooked because, you know, and, and I didn't think that I, I saw that uh, Ian Begley of SNY got his uh, um, college coach talking about it. And uh, his college coach was like, oh, he was just messing around at the end of a workout. And just like, no, he wasn't like you could, it was the middle of a workout. Like you can tell. So um, I have some concerns, but as a player, he's really good. So yes, I think he definitely, you know, um, assuming that the shot isn't broken, I think he really moves the needle because he's uh, a very high level shooter, a really, really good defender. Um, yeah, you know, just, uh, like, I, I think somebody who's, who's going to be like a, he, I think he could move the needle defensively his first season, um, in the NBA. So really good player. I like him a lot. I still would take him in the top 10 just based on his body of work. But yeah, I would, if I was a team drafting that high, I would like to see 
a little bit more of his shooting just so that I, I know. Yeah, that it's not can can be... we please get a Zoom call with like 15 jumpers at least? That... Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> just <laughs> prove he, to me uh, that it's not broken, please. He He's a weird type of prospect for me because defensive versatility is what he's how he separates himself but he's really thin yeah and and so i always worry about the really skinny guys like can they can they actually play up a position because it's really important in the nba as a wing to like be able to not just guard guards and stay in front of them but also can you take a big man on a switch and keep him off the glass and so I, i i do worry about his weight that's like my lone concern, I guess, with him, or the biggest concern, besides that dog shit jump shot form that he showed. <laughs> really how how big is he? Is he like a wing, to, or is he like more of a, a prototypical big? He's six seven. He's wing. He's like he's like perfect wing size. Yeah, and and Jay, to your point, I think you know his first year. He's you're probably looking at him guarding positions one through three, and then after that, you're hoping. And as you know, as the season goes on, you're hoping that he can. Um, you know, add some weight and, and, and potentially guard up. Um, but no, I think that's, I think that's a very valid concern. He is very skinny. Um, of course, the so, last guy I had that concern about, like that was going to be top 10 was, was Bridges and he's just become a stud defender. So, so well, and, fuck and you me as always. At, <laughs> <laughs> and you can kind of look at Thibault too, right? Like another guy who was like kind of skinny, but can really just defend and, you know, not a, and again, somebody who is probably a year or two away from defending up, but who is, you know, tough for sure. All right, Packer, you got one? I'm telling you, I know nothing. Uh, how about Kira Lewis Jr.? I've seen him uh, guard from Alabama, mock to the Celtics a number of times. Does he move the needle? He'd be another backup point guard. Uh, is he kind of – how much of a step down is he from the um, kind of Killian Hayes or guards we talked about who could kind of fill into that role? So for me, he's a small step down. I, I really like Kira. Um, he's super, super fast, uh, good shooter. Uh, his off the dribble, he improved throughout the season. He was always good spotting up, uh, you know, good free throw shooter. So you like that um, for his jumper. And like I said, I mean, he's he's got great body control. He can really contort himself around the rim and finish, um, which is cool. And just in transition, he's going to be a killer. He's so fast. Um, so I, I like all those things. He's the I think Ish Smith of this draft, which is great. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's there's some ish to him for sure. Because like when he gets out in transition, you're just not going to catch up to him. Um, so I I really like him. I think he'd be a great pick at 14. Um, and like you mentioned, he again he kind of fills that same thing that I was I was talking about with Hayes as a guy who can you know be a backup point guard, be a backup scorer, and potentially work himself into more down the road. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And the Celtics kind of need that extra playmaking boost 
yeah in their second unit like that was definitely one thing that was missing obviously shooting in the second unit is another thing but like there was just especially when marcus smart had to start for whatever reason there was just nobody to make a play in that second unit brad wanamaker was probably the closest but he's like more of a secondary even like tertiary playmaker (laughs) yeah he was really efficient, but like he's not going to break down your defense. So a guy to like break down defense and make things easier for everyone else in the second unit would be a cool toy for Brad Stevens to have. Do you guys yeah, think he, that the prime like that's their primary target uh, is getting some sort of guard uh, for that secondary unit? Because we talked about other big men, but they get, certainly have a a bevy of young bigs up front, and it's like, do they really have time to take another big? And then also give Grant Williams time. Also give Robert Williams time. Um, hopefully not give that. It depends who that big is. Like if it's a, yeah. if you can trade up and get Okungwu and you feel really comfortable with him, then cool. Like screw Robert Williams, screw Grant Williams, screw their development. If he's your guy, he's your guy. Yep. If he's not your guy, then then yeah, you can probably feel not comfortable with where Robert Williams and Grant Williams are, but at least you know you you can be happy with Daniel Tice. And know that you have two prospects who at least showed something this past season and could build on that in the coming years. So, is there a big at 14, though, who's going to be available at 14 that's like, that's the, like, we're screw the Williams brothers, like, let's go with this guy? Wesserholm is shaking his head. So we'll go with Jalen Smith next. Is he a mover? <laughs> a needle mover? Uh, not to me. I'm I'm not a big Jalen Smith guy. I know he's risen a lot in the he last. He wears game. rec specs, which is cute. he does wear rec specs, which is cool. Um, there is uh, th- he's definitely risen in the last couple of weeks. So I mean, maybe people are, are hearing something. I'm not sure, but um, you know, he can. He's got the potential to space the floor. Um, he's got a great frame for the NBA. You know, he's like six ten, six eleven, and just super super long. He might be he might be seven foot. I'm not sure. He's he's in that range. Um, so he's, he's really big. Um, he can, he can really shoot, but he is really, really skinny. Um, he doesn't move that well for how skinny he is. Like I I would like to see him quicker, especially laterally. Um, if I was, if I was going to take him. So, um, for for me there, I don't think there are any needle moving bigs at 14, which is one of the reasons why I focus pretty heavily on like the guards and the wings. Um, just cause like, you know, like to me, Tice and the Williams brothers allow you to kind of kick the can down the road. Um, you know, maybe see what might be available in the next draft, what might be available in free agency or via trade, whatever it might be. Um, if you're not going up high in the lottery to try to get a Kongu or I guess, you know, James Wiseman, if you were going really high in the lottery, you're not, I don't think you're getting somebody who is good enough to make you say, screw the Williams. I'm moving on. Screw the Williams. <laughs> so officially does not move the needle. Uh, the, the, for me, Jalen Smith does not move the needle. No. How about, uh, I think my favorite name in the draft, because you can say the phrase, ain't no stopping Obi Toppin. <laughs> He's another big 6'9 guy out of Dayton. Does he kind of move the needle or is he? he a, he'd be a move, move up candidate. Yeah. Yeah, he'll be gone by 14. He's sure. Okay, so he's, uh, he's gone by 14 then. Well, then who are some other guys that, that could be uh, kind of in that 14 range that would move the needle for either of you guys? So the two guys who I who haven't mentioned that I that I really like are RJ Hampton and Tyrell Terry. Um, Hampton is like we, I talked about him a minute ago. He is he's just an unbelievable athlete. Um, he played in New Zealand last year, struggled a pretty fair amount, especially with his jumper. But you saw some flashes, and I think that one of the things that we we've seen in a lot of his like you know kind of workout videos and that kind of thing is the the biggest problem for him was footwork. He just never had his feet under him when he shot. He just you could tell he. 
he had a lot of skill. He had a, a crazy amount of athleticism, but he just kind of this one very basic fundamental thing just wasn't there for him. And there was a lot of reason, in my opinion, to believe that, you know, if he was able to gather his feet correctly when he exploded up for a floater or when he exploded up for a layup, like, you know, he might have made that one instead of clunking it off the back rim or, um, you know, he might if he could get his feet square to the basket when he shot a three, it might go in instead of, you know, hitting the side of the rim. So I he, he's a really good passer, um, you know, decent ball handler. And like I said, I mean, Zach Levine type athlete, uh, really, really explosive, really Ooh. fast. And I, I think there's a lot to like with him. Terry, he's the, he's the perfect Celtics prospect, too. Yeah, he 100 percent is. Super highly regarded in high school. I think he was a fifth ranked prospect coming out of that class. Freak athlete with jump shot issues that the Celtics never seem to care about. Um, he had there were extenuating circumstances to his struggles in his first year. Yep. One of which that he was in Australia playing against grown men, and it wasn't like Lamelo Ball who played for just a dog shit team in Australia. He played for a pretty good team that went fifteen and thirteen. So there are there are a lot of reasons to believe that the the larger sample of his high school work, which was really, really impressive, could be like the the key part here for him and that he's probably underrated at this point, especially if he can figure out some sort of jump shot, which the Celtics normally think, you know, we can we can teach a guy how to shoot a jump shot, but we cannot Just, teach uh, him strap a ping pong paddle to, to his hand and get in the paint. And then the other part of that is he's such a good athlete that even though he doesn't have a reputation as a defender, there could be something there. And I think Brad Stevens has always been a great teacher of defense. Like yeah. if, if you put a good long athlete in his system, that guy will probably become a pretty good defender at least. Yeah. I think all of that is true. I also think that it's worth noting that, um, you know, not that I think that college is like the perfect way to develop somebody, but he went from high school where he had no issues and no, uh, or like, you know, no issue scoring, no anything like he had very, very little challenge, you know, straight to a professional league where they didn't have time, you know, just to, to spend, I mean, you know, he, he was able to like work with trainers and stuff, but he was not the focus of the team. Like you said, Jay, like he's, he went to a, a good team with, you know, aspirations to, to do some things beyond just develop a, you know, an 18 year old. So yeah, I, I think that there's, there's a lot of room for growth with him and like, He's and I think at number 14, he's an interesting shot to take because there there like is some like star potential there. And, and you know, who knows if he reaches it, but he's got the athleticism for it for sure. Kevin O'Connor writes that he runs like Forrest Gump in transition, which is a huge plus for uh for my <laughs> draft analysis. Now, Tom, you said you had another kind of guard person who you would say is a definitive needle mover. To me, Tyrell Terry is definitely a needle mover. Um, he's a he, he came onto the scene pretty late. He was not supposed to be a one and done prospect at Stanford, but I think he actually is the first one and done prospect in Stanford basketball history. Um, he is a super, super elite shooter. And I think most interestingly to me, he is a super elite shooter out of the pick and roll. Um, he, so he's one of those guys and, and deep, like he can shoot from really deep. So he's one of those guys who can, you know, come off a screen and really punish you if you make a mistake and you're not, you know, if you don't go over it or if you, if you don't, you know, hedge it correctly or whatever, he will make you pay. And, uh, those guys just have like a, a history of success in the NBA. Like you, you can be a really good player if you can punish teams for, um, you know, making a mistake as a, as a ball handler. So, um, I, I really like him and he, he has kind of the same thing um, that a lot of these guys who 
it feels unfair to name some of the guys who really punish you that way, but he can do, um, you know, kind of the same thing of getting to the rim because he makes defenses panic so much. So I, uh, I, I really like his game. I think that there's a lot of potential there. And I also, one of the knocks against him was that he was like six, one and like 120 pounds or whatever coming out of high, out of college. He is packed on a significant amount of weight. Uh, according to, according to people who work out with him, he's grown. I never know whether to believe that or not, but he, he definitely looks more muscular. So, um, you know, I, I think that there's something definitely there with him. He, yeah, he, he's an interesting one because he is so small. And and especially, I, I think we saw it with Carson Edwards in his rookie year. Like, it's just a lot tougher to get off shots when you're small in the NBA. Like, it's one thing to do it in college, and it's another when you're 6'1", 160, trying to create three-point shots against, like, like let's say Jason Tatum is guarding you. You know, like, like it's yeah. just really tough. And so I, I do wonder if some of his strengths will translate. Obviously, the shooting is a great skill. Um, but is he more like a Bryn Forbes, which is cool, but like super shooter helpful, but Bryn Forbes like... moved the needle in our last podcast. So. Bryn Forbes, he's known needle mover. So, <laughs> but I, 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 I have questions about Terry just because of that. And I do like a lot of, of kind of the, the mold that he is, he's in. And I also wonder like, if he's if he was such a good shooter, like and he he is such a good shooter, like why was their offense so bad? Like, yeah, I just don't get that. Is it coaching? And I I don't know enough about the Stanford offense to to know. But if you're that good a shooter and like a pretty good playmaker, like why was that offense so bad? I have oh yeah, I I have wondered that too. Um, because I mean, a lot of these guys, you know. I'm, I, I need to caveat this. I'm 100% not saying that I think Tyrell Terry is Steph Curry. But like, if you're like one of those guys who who can hit these crazy deep threes off the dribble, like, you know, Steph That's was averaging like 100 points a game at Davidson. Like, yeah. Yeah. Trey Young was averaging, a, a, you know, a million points a game at Oklahoma. Like, why wasn't he that if he's, you know, that level of shooter? I And actually, Jay, I... I I have been trying to come up with a good like low end outcome for Terry. So I appreciate you coming up with Bryn Forbes. Cause that's a really good one. Um, but I think the, the one thing that I would push back on with Carson Edwards is that Carson shot 30%, I think it, from three in college, like he was super streaky. Um, and you always kind of knew that, like, 35. <laughs> was it 35? I actually thought, okay. I, I think thought it was, it was, that, I think it was 35 um, or 36 as a senior. So but he, but he was always kind of a a, a rhythm like heat yeah. up shooter, you know, and, and he likes to dribble into his three, you know, coming over like half court, or he likes to kind of, you know, have the ball in his hands a little bit. I think that Terry's pick and roll game is more developed and a lot, um, you know, just a lot more advanced than Carson's is, which will help him certainly get shots off, or at least force defenses to make decisions to prevent him from getting shots off, which you know leads to other nice things if the play continues. So, um, you know, that, that's what I like about him, but I do, uh, I, I do appreciate and recognize the Bryn Forbes comp. That's, that, that's, pr that's pretty good for a low end outcome. His high end outcomes are really high, but yeah, uh, th th there's that potential too. Is Aaron Neesmith a needle mover for you? Yeah. I've never heard that name in my life. Where's he from? <laughs> Tell me more about him. He's from Vanderbilt and he shot 52 point something percent from the three point arc on, on, on how many attempts? Game. A lot yeah. of attempts. A ton what? of attempts. Yeah. Yeah. So he's interesting because he's like 
he, he's a lot bigger, but he kind of plays like JJ Redick, where he's just kind of moving off screens. He gets a lot of his um, a lot of his threes on like off ball movement and like finding seams in the defense where nobody's kind of paying attention. Um, he's really good at just kind of relocating just a little bit to create some space for himself. Um, so if you're just looking for a guy who you know you want him to space the floor and you're going to try to develop him into a defender. Uh, I really like him. I, I think he had a foot injury um, that ended his season. So you want, you know, a clean medical report, obviously, with a foot injury. But um, yeah, no, I, I think that there's there's kind of three wings as like three and D guys that you, that kind of interest people in that range. Sadiq Bey, um, uh, Devin Vassell and Naismith is the other one. Um, those those guys are all real intriguing if what you're looking for is spacing and defense. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, <laughs> I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball-related activities. Trophies like the Dominic Toretto I Live My Life a Quarter Mile at a Time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen at Ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Neesmith's really interesting to me because he got up a ton of threes and hit him in an outrageous clip. And he, if you watch, his release was really slow. Like, I I think there's still a lot more that he can mine there. If you look at, and this is an extreme comparison, obviously, but if you look at Duncan Robinson when he was in college, uh, he, he had a slow release too. And, and he didn't get off nearly as many shots as he could have. Because, and he found heat culture and everything changed for him. <laughs> yeah, but, but I think like the way you practice and the things that you practice when you're that good a shooter can ultimately determine like how effective you'll be. And I think that brings us to another point in this draft class, which is the last time these guys played in games was in like seven months ago, eight months ago. These guys have had tons of time to work on stuff. And I, I think that there will be guys who have, kind of maximized the pandemic and will come out much better players than probably we remember from their college days in March or guys that went the other way and just kind of stagnated. While Here's a, how much Intel do these teams have on kind of that improvement process? Because like, I I've heard things like, uh, I think Mike Zarin saying like, we've just been, we've done everything that we can do at this point in terms of like watching tape and having zoom interviews, like do are these scouts just like falling in love with players because they've been watching the same tape for like the past eight months? I think it just is like going to be a real unprecedented draft because we just have no idea kind of the group think that's going to go in or just uh, how, if one organization values a guy 
um, so much more than another, just because they've been kind of fascinated with this one tape of a guy playing Seton Hall in like late December last year. Like it's going to be fascinating to see. Like, I just don't know, say some guy like really improves his release over the past eight months. Is it just word of mouth through like the weird NBA trainer network or is it like college coaches? How much, how are teams actually uh, evaluating these guys or getting these guys in for any sort of uh, workout or evaluation? Well, Jay, you can probably speak to this too. My impression is that they're like, that players are working out in certain locales, but like a lot of, but like, they're also kind of like, there's like tape being kind of passed around of workouts too. Um, or, or like that, that, that teams are getting like looks at these guys, maybe from those workouts. Like I, I can't um, completely get a handle on it, but that that's my impression is that, is that guys are uh, th- like teams are getting looks at these guys beyond just, you know, word of mouth and beyond just their college tape. Yeah. They teams have been able to, to see players work out and you can have, I think, what is it? 10 prospects into yeah. your facility. So for the, Celtics is probably not that useful, but but you can like the have they the, started had those workouts yet, or like have guys been coming into the Arbac Center? My I I can't say for sure, but my impression is that the Celtics have not had anybody yet in. Um, you know they've got a couple of weeks still, obviously. What if someone has a real asked anyone? <laughs> what if someone has a real good video editor and sends a video edit of like only their best shots in a workout? Like, how do they know oh, you getting a fit like official? Yeah, how do we know that like they're just not sending the best tape? Like, someone has a bad workout, maybe doctor that footage a little bit and up your draft uh, stock. Uh, I mean, you can't really know. I, I think you would assume that like if you're a team, I would assume that you think you're getting the prospect's best tape. You know what I mean? I, I don't think that they would be like well, here's the, the positive and the negative about my guy. I feel like it would just be like, yeah, like here's, um, but you know, for somebody like, I, I think what you'd be looking at on that film is, is basically somebody like Vassell, like, was there a concern about his release? How does it look now? You know, those type of little things. Um, you certainly, I, I don't think that you're going to base a draft pick on what you see or like what you hear in these zoom meetings or whatever. Um, but I, I think that it, you know, it can sort of affect the information that you have, um, which to me is somewhat valuable at least. And you, you hear all the time about guys who just show off skills that teams didn't know they had. When Bam Adebayo, for example, was going around, I think Seth Partnow shared this story th- that the Bucks front office was watching a Bam Adebayo workout and he started dribbling and they were like, holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> we had no clue he could do all of that. And so it was immediately clear that he had so much more to his game than he was able to show at Kentucky. So that that can be like a huge, huge thing for workouts or Zoom workouts or whatever, like just seeing a guy in a different situation than he was used in during college and recognizing like, okay, that guy, that guy has way more than we thought he did in this certain situation um, that for whatever reason, his college coach never tapped into. For sure. Are there any guys who are, if the Celtics picked them at 14, you would immediately go, wow, that's dumb. <laughs> uh, that, that, so, yes. Um, yes, let's hear it. They're so going to pick whoever not like do. Not like, like someone who's like been projected in that range, not someone who's just like a, a second round projection and then they like really reach on them, but someone who's in that kind of 10 to 20 range, you are like, eh, Cole Anthony kind of sucks. 
So for me, guys like um, like guys like Precious Achua just don't necessarily make much sense for me. I, I was um, gonna say the same thing. Yeah, like like you already have Grant Williams. I don't know that you need Precious Achua. Um, you know, it's kind of the same thing with Patrick Williams, um, who, who's kind of in the in that very much in that vicinity as well. Um, he, he's risen again. Another guy like maybe he ends up being way better than Grant Williams. I don't know, but like to me, like you've already kind of got the you know versatile small ball five kind of kind of guy um all set like i i don't i just don't necessarily see the value um in taking somebody like that um i the cole anthony one is, is interesting uh he is he kind of fits a lot of the celtics molds um similar where it's like another guy who can score off the bench and you know you'd be hoping that he can do more down the road um i don't like him as much as i like some of the other guys i mentioned uh and i also uh you know but but he was in a tough situation at UNC after being a top prospect. So again, kind of another Celtics archetype. Um, so I don't know. He, he's an interesting one, but I, I do like some of the other point guards quite a bit better. Like Kira Lewis, Tyrell Terry. I like those guys better than Cole Anthony at this point. What about Pokashevsky? Pokashevsky? Poka, Pocahontas? <laughs> I go Pokashevsky. <laughs> I think that's right. Um, he's So he's a seven-footer. He is uh like kind of he, he's mostly a wing honestly he he can really like dribble and pass he was playing in a garbage league uh, i believe he's playing in the same league as Giannis um when Giannis was in greece and just like when you watch his film you're just like man he's he's playing against absolute nobodies um but is, is he the next Giannis? so he's Giannis, exactly seven feet tall and 200 pounds that is really, a thin man really skinny yeah but again you kind of like you don't necessarily look at him as a big man because he's just a very unique prospect. Like he can, he can shoot and pass and dribble a lot like a wing. And like at seven foot, it's just like, I don't totally know what that is. I'm intrigued. Uh, I would like to see it. I would like to see what some development looks like because, you know, I guess kind of minus the shooting, you would say similar things about Giannis. Like certainly Pokusevsky is nowhere near the athlete that Giannis was. Um, and, you know, Giannis maximized himself by just working his absolute ass off. But, um, I don't know, man. Like Pokusevsky is a seven footer who can dribble, pass, and shoot. Like that's really interesting to me. Um, and definitely, I don't know that I would take a swing at him at fourteen if I was the Celtics. I think I would like to get somebody for my bench who who I know can contribute. But like, if you trade up a little bit, like maybe you package thirty and twenty six, uh, you know, to try to get up to like twenty two or something like that. Maybe he's available there. Then sure, like he's he's a really interesting guy, and you know. I, maybe a year in Maine and then, you know, coming up and, and contributing at the, at the NBA level would do some good for him. Is he a, a draft and stash guy? Because it just feels unlikely that the Celtics are going to draft three guys who are going to compete for, to be on this roster. I think we've seen them do that in the past. Like it's just helpful for their roster construction uh, to be able to draft someone and kind of stash them for later. I'm only saying that because he played in Greece. Uh, but if he's not a draft and stash guy, are there other kind of people they could target probably with like the 26th pick or maybe the 30th pick who fit into that. Yeah. So Pokusevsky, my impression is that he's trying to come over. Uh, I, I don't know for sure. Um, the one guy who I do know for sure is not coming over is Leandro Balmero. Um, six foot eight, uh, like guard wing um, who played for FC Barcelona. Uh, his jumper needs some work, but he is really fun. Um, like really good ball handler, really, really flashy passer. Uh, just Ooh. one of those guys who like, he just has like this really impressive, fun feel for the game that um, would probably be pretty entertaining within the Celtic system. He's just a, a super elite passer. He's definitely not coming over. So pretty much every mock draft that you see has the Celtics taking him at 26. 
um, to the point where I almost feel like there's some potential for somebody to do what the Celtics did to the Sixers last year, you know, take Bolmero at 24 and then tell the Celtics, look, if you want this draft and stash guy, give us 26 and the 30th. Um, be just because like everybody knows the Celtics can't make three picks. So um, he's definitely a guy to keep an eye on, um, especially if the Celtics do end up using all three. But I also kind of wonder if uh, some team might try some shenanigans before that point. Argentinian chocolate. That's, that's, <laughs> that's his really nickname. Fun, no, I, you... I just I just coined that nickname. <laughs> if you uh, if you ever want to spend uh, five fun minutes on YouTube, uh, find some of his highlights because he is he is flashy. Is he as good as Passer as that cigarette smoking Milos Teledosic? <laughs> no, nobody is. <laughs> nobody is. Milos is the greatest passer in history. You just said uh, five minutes on YouTube watching passing highlights, and that was the first guy I thought of. <laughs> uh, man, that guy smoked a lot of six. Um, anyone else in the draft and stash category, or is it just kind of he's the guy and the Celtics are kind of screwed because everyone knows they want to take him? It's pretty much that. I mean, you get down into like the uh, you know the second round. There's guys potentially, but like those guys are 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 real low and would be a huge stretch at 26 um so no it's pretty much to me it's pretty much bull marrow or um like if i was the celtics i would either try to package 30 and 26 to move up even if it's just a couple of picks or i would try to draft bull marrow if he's available because again draft and stash fun guy etc needle mover no needle mover all right so my biggest takeaways from this conversation is we want the fun guy from spain the argentinian chocolate uh and do you do whatever you can with 26 and 30 to try and get him and then um rj hampton sounds like a fun kind of high ceiling guy who and just the comment that he runs like forrest gump in transition sounds like the the perfect target uh in 14 do you got do you have any other uh hot takes you want to get off here or bold predictions or just uh things you've been stewing on uh, about the draft uh as we kind of round out uh our draft analysis here well, Jay, I'm curious what you think of Cassius Stanley. He's one of my favorite, like, kind of under the radar prospects, like, in the last like three years. I love him. Absolute freak. Like, as <laughs> yeah. as freaky as it gets, um, he doesn't really use his athleticism. <laughs> but I don't, I don't know that I agree with that. Are there multiple players named Cassius in this draft class? Yes, yes. there's a Cassius Winston and a Cassius Stanley. Cool. And they're entirely different players. Yeah, both very different players, both going in roughly the same range, both very fun. Yeah. Um, Why do you like yeah. Cassius Stanley so much? Well, like Jay said, he's a, he's a freak athlete. He actually, um, Zion Williamson broke Duke's like vertical leap record his freshman year, and then Cassius Stanley broke it the next year. Um, he Ooh. is like really long. I think there's a lot of defensive promise with him. Like Jay said, if you, if you plug him into a Brad Stevens system, I think he could become a real menace. Cause he's um, I think he's like six, six with long arms. And obviously, like we said, very athletic. Um, I don't think his jumper is broken. Um, it's not great. It certainly needs a lot of work and his handle is really bad. Like he can't, <laughs> he can't do yeah. anything with that. Um, so that needs a lot of work. But I think if you're just picking up a guy who, you know, you hope his jumper develops because I, I don't think it's impossible. And like, maybe he can attack closeouts and look in transition. Like it is going to be an absolute highlight reel. Um, so I, I, I really like that. I think he's intriguing. Um, who, who was the dude a few years back who like refused to sign a second year contract or something and just played on the, uh, the, the 10th, what what the was it KJ McDaniels? KJ McDaniels. He's yeah, kind of yeah. like KJ McDaniels. Like 
I don't know if he'll ever pan out. Yeah. But the idea of him is really impressive. I think that's a really good comp. Uh, like, because because it does feel like there was a world in which KJ McDaniels is like, you know, a, a perfectly serviceable NBA wing who plays for like six or seven years. Like, so yeah, yeah. I, I think that's a good one. Yeah. I, I'm, a, I'm a big Cassius guy. I also think there are like a bunch of random, like under scouted point guards. And I don't know which yes. one's going to stick, but I feel like there's a chance that at least one of them do Peyton Pritchard, um, like Sam Merrill. Um, who else there? How about Isaiah Joe? How do you feel about a guy with two first names? <laughs> Malachi Flynn's another one. Um, like there, that guy, Malachi Flynn is sounding like he's going to go in like the the high tw- or the like the like like the twenty to twenty five range at this point because yeah, yeah he, he he's really risen. He's been rising, but there are a lot of like super productive guards who, for Grant one Willard. reason or another, just aren't freak athletes, but just killed everyone in college. And I, I do think at least one of them will end up being a good player. But like I said, I have no idea which one. And then my sleeper, the ultimate sleeper for me is Vernon Carey, man. (laughs) Poor Vernon Carey just dismantled everyone he played during his freshman season and is like close to maybe being undrafted on (laughs) on most big boards. Like he was at Duke just killing people. His free throw rate was close to like 70%. Like he just mutilates people, but because his skill set – isn't exactly like you want in a modern big man he's gonna go maybe close to undrafted but he is a force and if he can just play a little defense i think there are skills there that like he's he's really tough to stop near the basket well he's a lot like it's funny like where the nba has literally gone since like what was it 2015 because like he's Quite similar to Jaleel Okafor. I was about like, to say, lumbering Duke big man who can <laughs> a force in the low post but can't do much else. Well, I mean, honestly, Kerry can kind of step out a little bit. Like yeah, in, in high school, he could really shoot threes. threes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, like, I, I, I'm low-key kind of a Vernon Carey believer, too. I, I kind of like him. I, I'm, you know, I'd be spooked taking him anywhere, you know, like in the in the first round. But, like, if he was around at 47, I don't see any reason that, like, you know, like taking a shot on somebody like him would be bad. You um, know but, what he can do, and he can do that all at an NBA level, I think. Like, he'll be able to score in low. He'll be able to draw free throws. He'll be able to do all of that. If you can turn him into, like, some sort of passing hub, I think he could be a really good offensive player at the very least. And then he's he's 6'10", 270 with a long-ass wingspan. Like, it's not like he has no skills defensively. I think he would be significantly better defensively than Ennis Cantor was, that's for sure. Like... Um, like, <laughs> that's I, I a post up guy, too. <laughs> yeah, I, I just think Vernon Carey, he's the only dude who's ever been like a super high recruit, killed everyone during his freshman year, but nothing was succeeded, <laughs> had no injury issues, and just seen his draft stock plummet through the fucking floor. <laughs> it's it's wild, and and I get it because. He is not a modern center, but he literally just kills everyone, and he does it in a way that really helps his team, or at least did in college. We'll we'll see if it does in in the pros, but I think there's definitely some potential there. You're just yeah. a, a Duke fan, though. We have to acknowledge your bias here. But he was by far Duke's best player. Like Jay was 100 right about that. Yeah, it wasn't even close on a pretty good Duke team. Like he was clearly their best player. Um, 
It is bizarre to watch like Trey Jones. Everybody mocks him in like the you know the first round, and it's like, well, okay, but like I don't know, like Vernon Carey was pretty good. Like he was <laughs> by far the better player of the two in college. Um, so yeah, I mean, like he's an interesting guy. I mean, like a couple of the guards that you mentioned, Jay, that that, that are pretty interesting, like you know Grant Riller, Skylar May. Um, those guys are going to be around in the in the second round, and you know. If, if you're just looking for a guy who can probably fill it up, like both those guys can really score. So, um, you know, definitely some, uh, definitely some potential at 47 too. This is a, that's, that's kind of, I like this draft, man. Like I know, I, I know there's like not really anybody at the top where you're like, Oh, this guy's going to be an all NBA player. But like, it's just like, there's a lot of fun names and guys who I think could stick around for a while. Yeah, we haven't even really talked about Sadiq Bay much. I, I'm, a, <laughs> I'm a member of the Bay hive. And then, <laughs> You don't even know the other guy, Desmond Bain. Like Desmond Bain could could be pretty good, and he's really, really strong. Yeah, which which could help him overcome his minus wingspan. He's like there's some there's some uh, some Tyler Hero vibes there for sure, where he's like a guy who can kind of play make a little bit, can really shoot, and like literally has like a minus two wingspan. I'm pretty sure he's six six with a six four wingspan. So yeah, uh, I, I like him a lot too, and and like you know defensively. He's he's another guy who's just really smart and is always in the right spot. So like, yeah, he's not gonna like block your shot very often, but he'll be in front of you. He'll make it as difficult as he can. That uh, phrase, negative wingspan, brings us uh, towards the end of our podcast. You've really you've made me more excited about this draft with how much you know all of these players and how much uh, you, like there's guys who are later in the draft, maybe not uh, top heavy, but got me excited. You're clearly a draft guy, so we're gonna uh, play a little segment of uh, potable six pack. This is where we do a snake draft of uh, six things uh, just in general. But for this time, we're going to do draft adjectives. Uh, so just any adjectives that are used to describe players, your favorite adjective. Um, I'm going to have Jay go first, then Tom, then I'll go twice, Tom, then Jay. So okay. your favorite draft adjectives. Upside potential. You you <laughs> got to have upside potential. If there is no upside potential, then that is so it's a double, it's redundant. That is, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a big fan of, of just talking about a guy's upside and like a lot of the guys are never pan out. Like, <laughs> like I remember Willie, they have Colley the potential Stein, to pan out. Willie Collie Stein. There was like a video floating around of him shooting jumpers and everyone was like, Oh, Willie Collie Stein going to be a stretch, stretch big. who can really guard one day. And it's like, well, he can't really guard. Definitely can't shoot. Can't really. <laughs> he was supposed much. to be able to guard point guards. Like everybody was like, Willie Colley Stein is going to be able to literally guard one through five. Yeah, no, not not exactly. But <laughs> he had huge upside. He did. And I'm a big I'm a big fan of the upside. Another guy, yeah, another guy like that was Mo Bamba, where there were like two workout videos where everybody's like, this dude is like shooting spot up threes. What oh, is yeah. going on? And then yeah, like yeah, he's yeah, still stinks just like he did in college. <laughs> um. So mine is similar, but a little different. I, I, my favorite is, is talking about people's like um, ceiling slash floor. Um, I just think uh, I overuse that because I think it's very descriptive. Like if you're like, man, Tyrese Halliburton, his floor is just so high. Like it's my just floor. like everybody kind of knows what you're talking about. Like it's, it's a very, it's very useful. Uh, we'll probably get to versatile at some point, but it's a very versatile uh, phrase here. So I, I also think a lot of high floor guys sneaky have low floors. <laughs> because, because a lot of the time the the high floor guys are like the guys who played a lot in college and you think are nba ready which is another term that might yeah. get drafted in this but 
a lot of the time they're just like they were older than everybody, which is why they were good in college. And then they get to the NBA, and it's like actually that that floor was a lot lower than than people thought. <laughs> now, when you're younger than everybody, you stink. Yeah, yeah. The the moving floor. Those yeah. are some solid first picks. I'm gonna go with we brought it up, but I love the phrase negative wingspan just because it's so shameful if you're a prospect and you have negative wingspan it's just like you are a t-rex you have little baby <laughs> arms and it's just like oh my god i'd be so embarrassed if on my like combine day it came out that i had negative wingspan it's just i, I have a negative wingspan Do you? i am the not proud owner of a minus three wingspan Ooh, in college sheesh. I, I measured at six two with a five eleven wingspan <laughs> There, there's a reason why I was never any good, man. <laughs> it's just a stain on your resume. It's just hard to overcome that. Like if I, I'm not clearly not the athletic picked you up anyway, man. Yeah, <laughs> one of my brothers is six three with a six six wingspan. I'm like, damn, if if I could have just had that those arms, I I could have gone a long way. I might still be playing. Uh, for my second pick, I'm just I. The high IQ players, I just think it's like a, a, such a ridiculous. Like I understand what you're trying to go for. It's like basketball awareness or like try like makes the right play on the floor. But just describing someone as high IQ, which is one IQ is a bullshit measure of anything. But just like it's like thrown out there with just a or a real heady player. I'm gonna combine those two. But it's just like you know, what does that really mean? That's just something you say where you, you like I guess doesn't fuck up a lot. Is that is that what a high IQ player is? And so that's what I'm going for uh, my second pick. That's good. I'll, I'll defend high IQ slightly, uh, mostly because, uh, you know, hit dog hollers and I use it all the time. But um, I, I think that, uh, like, it, it's useful when you're like, okay, like this guy's going to make the right defensive rotation because he did it in college. Or he's like, okay, like this guy can like really run an offense. Um, but like high IQ doesn't really say that. You could just say this guy's going to make the right defensive rotation or this guy's going to run an offense. Like you don't have to say like high IQ. So that's a, that's a very fair criticism. Um, I, uh, man, this is, uh, like we're, we're running through all, a lot of my favorites here. Um, I, I, I do like, we mentioned it before the show. I do like tweener, uh, like, like, you know, versatile, like tweener, um, switchy. That switchy. used to be a bad thing. It used to be like, oh, this guy doesn't have a position. He's a tweener. And yeah. now, like, that's the exact thing everyone wants in the NBA. I guess. Yeah. I guess one thing that I one, one that I'll go, actually, I'll, I'll go NBA ready because like, you, like you can't possibly be NBA ready. <laughs> like like your first few games are going to be tough because you're not ready for the like you're not ready for all of this athleticism, all of this talent that you've never faced before. Like everybody is so much better than everybody you were just playing in college. So like yeah, like a guy might you know be able to contribute a little bit quicker than some, but like NBA ready feels like like a, a stretch just because the NBA is really hard. <laughs> yeah, the NBA is not easy. Um. I'm going to use one that, that's not really like widespread lexicon, but I, I saw it in my man Kevin O'Connor's draft guide, and it, it cracked me up. Dynamic screening threat. <laughs> Dynamic screening threat. Like I, I love Kevin. I think he is. he and Sam Vecini are the two very best at what they do dynamic screening fucking threat like <laughs> these people who, who talk about screens like do they realize that screening is just standing there and fucking setting your feet that's not true we've seen someone run into you al horford Marcus if you're Tull. not 
if you're not a good screener, it's because you're a moron and because you don't <laughs> give a shit. That's the only reason. You are not there is no such thing as a dynamic screening threat. It's just a guy who's decided, okay, I'll stand there with my feet spread apart and let someone hit me and I'll try to be quick out of the role. Like Go fuck yourself with your dynamic. Does it, does it mean? Does it mean he could? You can both like pop and roll. Is that where the dyna, dynamic part comes in, or is it just a a fancy adjective to throw in front of screening threat? I think that's what it is. He followed it up with he said strong fundamental picks and forces defense to respect his ability to dive to the rim or pop out for a three. That's which, dynamic. Which is fine. And there there is a a skill to. Knowing when to dive, knowing when to pop, knowing what angle to dive at, all of that. But dynamic screening threat was just too much for me. It was too uh, was much. It, I'm, try, I'm trying to figure out who that would have been. Um, who did, yeah, who did he have? Is that you're, you're, not sold, you're not sold by the dynamic screening threat. No, no, I, that, that's, a, that's a great one. I'm just curious who it was. No, was no, I mean, you're not sold by the prospect. Oh, I'm not. Um, Precious Achua? Nope. Jalen Smith? Yeah. There you yeah. go. All right, all right, all right. Dynamic screening threat. That's how I know you suck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, along those lines, I have an honorable mention. I just think this one's great because uh, it's so dismissive, but just non-factor. Like if someone's <laughs> just a non-factor off the dribble, it's just like, oh, man, they give nothing. They have they contribute nothing to this skill set. They are a non-factor. It's it's. I, I kind of love the draft evaluation because you're just like taking these 18 year old, 20 year old kids and just completely basically either hyping them up or destroying them. There's no like real middle ground, I guess with the high ceiling hype. Like if you say a guy has a high floor, you're kind of saying he's a, a mid range person, but it's like, Nope, I've watched this YouTube guy for the past three months and he sucks or he is good. And it is like, people have some strong ass takes on draft players and it's just, a lot of the times, as we find out later in their careers, many people can be wrong. Do you have a, do you have a draft um, like horror story, someone or someone you were just like so wrong about in the past years, Tom, that you just like has either proven to be way better than you thought or way worse than you thought? Like someone you was like, this guy's going to be great and just turned out to suck. You know, I mean, like, I, I'm sure I have countless of them. It's just that, like, you don't really remember your horror stories because you just kind of, like, push them out of your mind. Like, no, 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 I was super right about Jalen Brown. Like, I, Okay, I was, give me your I give me your list of five guys that you nailed in the past five years. Well, <laughs> oh, actually, no, actually, the one that I was – yeah, this, this one's kind of cheating because everybody missed on him. But, I mean, I literally thought, like, Markel Fultz was going to be Jay, uh, James Harden. Like, I, I was, any, like, a huge believer in that guy. Um, you know, I still don't know for sure whether I just like misevaluated him literally the entire time, or if he, uh, you know, just had like issues that, you know, that nobody knew about or whatever it might be. But, um, he was a huge swing and a miss for me. Um, and then one guy that like, I was super high on and then didn't seem like he was going to pan out now actually is like kind of okay. was Christian Wood. Um, I thought he was going to be a stud coming out of college. And he wasn't. And now he's like, okay, like he's, you know, kind of serviceable. Now he's a uh, needle mover in free agency. Christian Wood has yeah. revived Westerholm's reputation. <laughs> yeah. Before this, nobody ever listened to me. And now still nobody listens to me. But I was uh, closer to right about Christian Wood. So, yeah. Jay, anyone you've really missed on? Um, I thought Avery Bradley sucked when he got <laughs> drafted. I, I thought that was the worst pick because – he was like a 6'2 guard who couldn't really dribble or shoot at that time. And I didn't think 
he'd be nearly as good a defender as he was. Or I I under-evaluated the, the defense is, is how I would put it. I, I think a lot of the time when when you think of like the the idea of a prospect wh- how good he actually is on defense is unknown to a lot of people like yeah. every, everyone looks at it it's like oh he's six seven he's long he's got great wingspan like he's he should be switchable well some guys are just way better defensively than others and and it it's not all about like physical tools like there are so many other things that go into it and the other part about valuing a defense that probably doesn't get enough um credit like guys are good at different things like some guys are great at closing out and staying with guys some guys are great at you know getting down in a stance and keeping someone in front one-on-one like some guys are great at helping and and contesting shots and i i don't think like have you ever read a, a draft evaluation that's like that splits up what a guy actually is good at in dynamic defense? screen not, evader not really <laughs> like you everything on offense is broken down but defensively it's just like is this guy a good defender or is he a bad defender basically and i, I don't know the the understanding of defense is widely pretty bad <laughs> including by me yeah yeah for me too um I, I think that like part of it too is just like you can't like you, you mentioned before that like players do well like in, in brad steven's system and like Part of it is that it's just like 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 I, I think that Cassius Stanley would be a good defender if he ended up in Boston. Like if he ended up somewhere else, like I I don't know. Like maybe he wouldn't be in a good spot. Maybe you know the coach would give up on him after a couple of mistakes or something. Like you just you don't know. Um. So yeah, I I think I think that's a hundred percent true that like defense is like draft defense evaluation is so far behind draft offense evaluation at this point. The crazy thing about all of this, and I think it's like just a very interesting thing about uh, the G League and things like that, is that there's a very limited number of spots in this league. And like anyone who's in the G League is top 1% of basketball players in the world. And so much of it is about like situation and being able to adjust to like maybe you get drafted by a team and you're used to being the star and you just got to come off the bench now and like nail your role of being great uh, and having a lot of energy for eight minutes and like, being able to heat up quickly. And so much of it is like talented guys can be put in situations that just don't work for them or they don't vibe with the coach well. And so, so much evaluation goes in before the draft, but it's like, you can just be drafted or put in a situation where it's just like, it doesn't work with your skill set or the guys you're put around just like, don't really make you better. And so it's just why, like it's, it can really be a crapshoot. And so it's a lot of fun to talk about. I have one guy, I was, Guarantee. I thought Dennis Smith Jr. was going to be a star, but mostly because my friend ran his pre-draft workouts. And so I spent an entire summer just watching his Instagram highlight videos on my friend's Instagram. And so I was like, this guy can jump out of the gym. Look how dynamic as he is and the shooting drills. Like I was convinced that Dennis Smith was going to be amazing. I even ended up at his draft party, which is a story for another time. Um, but I was convinced that he was the next guy. And it's just, uh, it didn't pan out, but I'm going to say he never really ended up in the right situation is the, is the reason for that. But um, we've gone on for now 70 minutes of solid draft analysis. Tom, uh, thank you for joining us here on Anything is Potable. If you guys want more draft takes from Tom, not takes, I would say reporting is more of your job, but you also throw in some takes in there. I do some taking. You can go, uh, you can find him at masslive.com. We're not going to mention his possible other audio outlets because there are no other uh, places to get Celtics analysis in your ears. 
Um, Gino time. Gino I was gonna time. Say, like as we, as we reach the Gino time segment of this podcast. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Jay King of all people. Normally he's the one who's the, like a big dick about like, we're the best Celtics podcast. And I'm trying well, to, we like... are the best Celtics podcast. <laughs> Every, everyone listening knows we're the best Celtics and podcast. And then I but, come in. But the man to... just fucking stayed on here for 70 minutes. We've got to plug <laughs> I was podcast. thanking. I was, oh my God. Jay, it's your most frustrating co-host I've ever uh, had to deal with. Rafi's waiting there trying to get some shots up. <laughs> so, so yes listen to tom on gino time read him on masslive.com if you want more draft analysis or celtics analysis from jay if he ever gets back from vacation you can go to theathletic.com slash anything is potable i think they're still doing deals to get a subscription there if you liked our podcast please subscribe give us five stars tell a friend leave us a comment uh or respond to our kind of like tweets we read all the tweets uh if you yell at me on twitter i'll likely uh, mention your take uh, here on the podcast or anything like that. I'm very prone uh, to bullying and peer pressure. And so if you want to do that, follow me at Jam Packard at by J King. I believe you're at Tom Westerholm. There might be an underscore in there, but you guys should be able to. Tom underscore MBA. Ooh. Yeah. Well, we'll list them in the, however you found this podcast, you'll be able to find uh, Tom's ad on there, but thank you guys for listening to this episode of. Uh, you just fucking sell me out man